0: People of the Book on 101.9 High FM.
1: This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM and we are once again privileged to have another international author in our studio. Today we in conversation with Mick Heron who is the author of a number of books and uh, his latest book London Rules is a continuation of the S- Slough House series. Slough. Slough House, Slough, Slough House series. And uh, these are spa thrillers. So Mick's going to talk to us a little bit about espionage, among many other things. But it's a spa thriller with quite a mm, different slant. Welcome to our studios at Chai FM, Mick. It's a
0: great pleasure for us to have you here. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: I'm going to leave your um, your biography to you. Can you please introduce yourself in your own words and on your own terms?
0: Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a British author, as as Stephen said. I grew up in the northeast of England, Newcastle upon Tyne. Uh, I studied at Oxford and. Continued to live there after I graduated. Worked there for a while. Worked in London for 15 years as a commuter. And since the beginning of last year, I've been writing full time.
1: These novels that you are in South Africa to talk about... Your, your series of
0: uh, the
1: slow, slow house.
0: <laughs> Slough, Slough. Slough House. Slough is a, um, a sort of dormitory town outside London. It's about 15, 20 miles from London, and it very unfairly has a reputation for being a, a dull and miserable place. So that's why I decided to adopt its name for, for the department I'm writing about. Can
1: you explain Slough House to our listeners?
0: Slough House. Uh, Slough House is a a shabby, decrepit building near the Barbican Centre in London, for those of you who who know London, and it houses a a department of the Secret Service where those who have messed up their careers get sent. Uh, People who have been either incompetent at what they do or who have issues of one sort or another, whether it's drug dependency or alcohol issues, anger management, gambling addiction, that sort of thing, or who have fallen afoul of the wrong people who have been... um, Uh, politically indiscreet one way or another. And these people get sent to this department, Slough House, where they're forced to do all sorts of boring administrative tasks, really pointless labor, in the hope that they will get bored and quit and stop being an embarrassment to the Secret Service.
1: The Slough House team, all damaged souls, the best way I have to explain them is to take the cast of the Madagascar animated series, movie series, turn them into humans, ...put them into department within British Intelligence, and that is Slough House. Can you introduce... <laughs> That's lovely, thank you. Can, you. can you introduce the cast, just a few thoughts on each of the main members, and you have to start with Jackson Lamb.
0: Jackson Lamb. Jackson Lamb is the only one there who has had a, a proper career. He is the head of the department, um, for reasons that are shrouded in secrecy so far. Um, he, at one time, was a successful undercover agent back in the days of the Cold War... He's now got old and quite fat, and he is blessed with a lot of gross personal habits, shall we say. He can be a deeply unpleasant man. Uh, He makes it uh, his speciality to offend people. He will say the worst possible thing in any given circumstances. And he regards political correctness as a a challenge to uh, to be broached at every possible opportunity. And the other the other characters at Slough House. People he's in charge of? The uh, the young man who thinks he's the hero of the series is called River Cartwright. His grandfather was himself a, a legend in the Secret Service. He was never head of the service, but he was sort of second in command. He was the power behind the throne for a long time. He's long retired, uh, but he raised River. River's uh, mother left him with her parents at an early age. He raised River, so River grew up wanting a life of service. He wanted to be a spy. He wanted to be a hero, like his grandfather. Uh, but he was the young man who fell afoul of the wrong... uh the wrong suit, as Jackson Lamb would call them. So he ended up in Slough House through no fault of his own, really. So he's very uh, frustrated by the way his career has been derailed, and he's longing to be back in the action and takes any opportunity he can to launch himself into events, uh, often without thinking about them first.
1: And uh, the, the women who work in
0: Slough House? The, uh, the longest standing occupant is, is Catherine Standish. She's in her 50s or so. She's a, um, a recovering alcoholic and uh, she is, acts as Jackson Lamb's PA, really. She's the only one who can more or less tolerate him. Uh, largely because she just lets it run off her like water off a duck's back. She has herself a lot of history. She at one time was uh, the PA to to a former head of the Secret Service who um, apparently killed himself some years ago. She's a sad character in many ways, but she's also very, very strong. She's very resilient. She's managed to rebuild her life from a point at which it all looked like it was falling apart. And she, over the course of the novels, has become... What I've always thought of as the heart of Slough House, but someone mentioned to me the other day that, um, that she was the conscience, which I think is also perhaps true. Other younger characters include, um, Louisa Guy, who's, um, uh, she messed up on the, on the, on a surveillance job and ended up allowing an awful lot of handguns to find their way into the, um, onto the streets and into the hands of criminals. So she's desperately trying to make up for that and, she is perhaps the the most effective still at her job. She's the one who, if anybody was able to make a way back into a proper career, it would be her. But so far, that hasn't happened. Uh, there's Roddy Ho, who is um, the computer expert, the computer whiz. There, he lacks any redeeming features whatsoever. I think he is a completely unself-aware. In his own eyes, he's a superstar. He's a rock god. He's, he's James Bond reborn. He can do anything. Everyone around him finds him absolutely repulsive but readers have a strange sort of sympathy for him I think because because despite everything he's he's not a bad person he just thinks he's a really good one and he isn't
1: there are also some other characters from the rest of the st- intelligence establishment who have big, uh, big influence or a big impact on this slough house crew there's Molly Doran there's Diana Taverner among others
0: Yes, I, I um, alternate scenes often between what's going on in Slough House and what's going on in, in what I've decided to call Regent's Park. Um, that's the name I've given to the um, to the actual proper Secret Service, um, the, the big um, the building where all the real work goes on. And the second in command there is called Diana Tavener. She's been a, a constant feature throughout the books. She believes she should be running the Secret Service, and often she has her own private agenda. There's a lot of backroom politics going on in these books she's not a bad person i mean she wants to be head of the service because she thinks she's the best person for the job and she probably is but she's also completely ruthless and will stab anybody in the back in order to get her will done Uh, and molly molly is um the archivist um she's in a wheelchair she has uh she's lost her legs below the knees Reasons again shrouded in mystery. We don't know why this happened. She knows Jackson Lamb of old, and she runs her own little um, kingdom really down in the bowels of the earth, way below the, uh, uh, the ground. Um, and she's in charge of the the secret services' secrets really. I have this um, notion I've invented in the books that um, whereas a lot of secret material, a lot of um, details of operations and so on, have become digitalised in the in the uh, current age there are still all sorts of stories going back years and years and years pre-computerized which still exist in dusty bound folders on bookshelves and she's in charge of all of those so she knows a lot of the history that's been forgotten by everybody else
1: the the the, your first novels were crime novels and then you took a a mid-career change in direction and you started to direct your talents to spy thrillers why the change, and are there differences between the two genres, or uh, the similarities?
0: It's all the same answer, really. The change came about because I wanted to write ensemble novels. I wanted to write about a large cast of characters. We touched on some of them in our conversation so far, but only about half of them. There are many more. And uh, writing about a large group of people allows me to enter into the to the minds and the and the hearts and feelings of different characters all the time which gives me broader perspective and it allows me to write in a variety of tones Uh, previously i'd been writing crime novels which are most about either one or two individuals and that can be very um uh that that's grand in its own way because you can go quite deep into a particular character but limiting in others because it's only you know only the one or two perspectives you're using in a crime novel Ultimately, everything more or less works itself out. Things are, you know, in the the traditional manner, things are returned to their original state and everything is, is made well again, or at least the central mystery solved, even if not necessarily in a happy way. In the spy novel, the status quo kind of remains... Same time. You, you can't have a happy ending, I find. There's no way things can be put right because there's always the background of a turbulent world that we live in. And these, we're dealing with problems that don't offer easy solutions. So that allows me to be far more ambiguous and, um, and take a far more cynical viewpoint than I would in, in another sort of novel.
1: This is People of the Book on 101.9, Chai Femi, in conversation with Mick It's the author of the Slough House series of, uh, espionage thrillers the latest book which is available in the shops is london rules but the entire backlist is available the publisher is john Murray publishers your, your books aren't just spy thrillers you deal with real issues beyond the standard thriller tick box list of terrorism office politics within intelligence and the like they are those are all in your book but you also delve deeper i'm actually going to read a few Few um, excerpts, just a few lines on a number of issues that you you raise. Um, This is on page 126 of London Rules. He wanted to say there's no system in the world that can prevent a bunch of homicidal lunatics shooting up a village if they get the urge. No system, that is, that anyone sensible would want to see. It was a question of balance. You lived in a democracy and accepted that certain freedoms came hand in hand with certain dangers, or you opted for full-scale oppression, which severely curtailed the opportunities for unofficial slaughter, but potentially maximized the official kind. There you've perfectly encapsulated the idea, the the, the, the balance between freedom and governmental control.
0: This is something that we all have to confront whether in south africa or, or back home for me in in the uk particularly in recent years with um, outbreaks of terrorism of a kind that we'd not seen before in um, in britain and um, there are there are choices to be made the the the, the next uh, issue
1: this is a conversation between diane taverner who's the second in command of of regent house and claude whelan who is her boss, her boss and yeah. And she's, she, Diane says to Claude, you're going to have to decide which flag you're flying. The service doesn't exist to further the interests of the party in power. In fact, the party in power is arguably our natural enemy, given that it's holding the purse strings. We serve the nation, Diana, Whelan said. And the party is, in power, and the party in power is democratically elected to lead that nation. You also got another, inherent uh, tension within intelligent systems who do you serve
0: yes this is again something that in recent years seems to be coming more and more to the foreground i think we're seeing an increasing tension between governments with often necessarily short-term objectives and organizations that seek to preserve the nation, which have that as a long-term aim despite the the wavering agendas of whoever happens to be in power at any given time
1: then you also go to populist uh, or popular you have a number of politicians in the book one populist Mm -hmm. and one a muslim who's trying to make ways within the the uh, the British political establishment, Zafar Jaffrey is a provincial Muslim politician, and he's straddling that divide between being a Muslim and being a loyal British citizen. Um, the 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 I don't have a quote on this one, but just that idea of dual loyalties within one person.
0: Uh, again, something that's come to the fore recently um, where people have to think quite hard about nation notions of identity when they're in public life because different things are expected of them. A Muslim politician is going to be regarded by many people with a great deal of suspicion in fact, he's the one politician in the book who is decent about you know at least about ninety five percent decent in in England
1: you have lots of examples of these type of uh, dual loyalties within one person
0: most of the dual loyalties that i'm exploring are to do with um, people's own private ambitions in public roles that's what i've really focused on i've tried to broaden that a little in in london roles but um, i don't i wouldn't want to generalize too much there are always individuals you can pick out in public life and and say these things of them but I, i wouldn't want to name.
1: Then when we see the archivist at Regent House going through her library, here the the quote is, There were rows and rows of files in her archive, each containing lives. They were operations minutely recounted, whose details would never be open to the public. And she was fine with that. It was called the Secret Service for a reason. Transparency and openness were for pressure groups to bleat about. But Molly Doran knew that much of what keeps us safe should be kept hidden. The appetites that keep democracy alive can be unseemly. There were stories here to make liberals combust. And while Molly occasionally felt she could have done with the warmth, such a bonfire might easily get out of control.
0: I think any any democracy, in fact any form of government, is going to have plenty of secrets at its heart that it doesn't want revealed. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad things, or done for bad ends anyway. I'm sure that one of the problems and, and paradoxes of the security services are that they have to perform unpleasant actions for the greater good. And this is not something that the public really would tolerate very much, I think. Um, so I, I like to write about that line that they're walking, and um, and I admire the the ability with with which they do that, then, while being obviously quite um, sceptical as as a liberal myself about some of the things that they might be getting up to. Then
1: the last quote, and I can't see where oh there's the dot. Um, though she had though she hadn't though she though if she'd had spent time. Here amongst the records, she'd know it was the eccentrics and fantasists, the borderline cases, who'd always flown the services flag highest. What makes a good spy? Sometimes (laughs) it's not the straightforward.
0: I I think what makes a good fictional spy is uh, is the oddball and the eccentric uh, going back through the ages. Looking back sort of between the wars or even before the First World War, I like the notion that all sorts of people were were recruited because they just happened to be in the right place at the right time, before there was a a big professional service in operation, and these people were just called upon to do their duty to the nation and would stand up and salute the flag and do so. And they would have been the, the eccentrics and those who wanted an adventurous life. And this is all romantic notions of the past. It's not real, I don't think, but it's something that... Uh, inspires fiction writing even now, and um, and is it's a kind of it's a nostalgia. It's probably false, but there's a certain warmth to it. I think.
1: This is people of the book on one hundred one point nine High FM. In conversation with me, Kiran it's the author of London Rules, and uh, we'll be back with more questions and answers straight after this ad break.
0: People of the book on one hundred
1: one point nine High FM. Welcome to People on the Book on 101.9 FM. We're finishing off the month of May with an absolute uh, treat. We've had lots of interviews the rest for, the, for the whole of this month. And we have Mick Heron, British espionage, thriller writer, and a crime writer in our studios. We're discussing Slough House, London Rules, and espionage. How do you do research for your novels?
0: Well, I don't do very much at all. One of the advantages of writing about the the world I'm, I'm creating is that I am creating it. Uh, if I were writing about a bunch of failed police officers, for instance, who are in the similar circumstances wanting to redeem their careers while being sidelined, I would have to get the processes right. I would have to research them so that I wasn't presenting a completely false picture of how the police service operates, because this is a matter of public record. People can find out about it quite easily. And if I were getting things wrong, I'd hear all about it, because you do get emails. But because I'm writing about the Secret Service, I can make things up, and people assume that I know more than I actually do, because, you know, it's called secret for a reason. Do you know
1: people in the M's, MR5 and MR6? Do you meet them in bars, drink a lot of wine and whiskey and hear their stories?
0: I I don't. I don't. That sounds like a nice thing to do, but um, I'm not sure that uh, that it happens that often. I have met a couple, uh, occasionally met people who have retired from the Secret Service. One gentleman came up to me after a reading I gave last year. And um, and said that he was a retired MI5 officer. I had been told that he would be attending the um, that, that event, really. So I, I knew that he'd be. Uh, I knew I'd be meeting him. But what he said to me was that he thought I painted a very accurate picture of uh, how life was in the service, which terrified me. I thought that was the most frightening review I could possibly receive.
1: How do you bring a book to life from conceptual stage to finished
0: book? Because I'm dealing with a series, and uh, there are now five of them, and I'm working on the sixth at the moment, I have what you might call a ghost novel already there before I start working it, because I know the characters, and I know their relationships, and I know how I want those relationships to develop. I know what kind of situations I want to be putting these people in. So for me, the plot, although I'm writing in, a, in what is traditionally a very plot-driven genre, the plot for me is something that I almost add afterwards, if you like. I have themes that I'm interested in exploring, uh, but the actual triggering events, the actual MacGuffin, if you want to use the Hitchcockian term, that, that drives the plot on, is something that I often come up with quite late in the uh, in the construction process, uh, and that for me is simply the maypole around which my characters do their do their dancing. You, you also have a standalone book that's coming out later this year. In fact, it's already in exclusive books at the moment. I saw many copies of it last night. It's called "This Is What Happened," and it's a much shorter book than my uh, than my others. And it was written in a very different sort of way. Uh, it has a much smaller cast, and it is it was quite intensely written. It's the only book I've written that I plotted to the nth degree before I started writing it. So all the way through, I knew everything that was going to happen I knew what the characters were going to be doing on every page as a result it was the perhaps the easiest book I've ever um, had to write had to write, <laughs> ever written um, and I hope it will be read quite intensely too I don't think it's a book to, to eke out I think it should be read in as short a time as possible to allow the, the various twists and turns to have their full impact What genre is that? Even that is is quite difficult to say. It starts out looking like it's it 's another espionage novel. It becomes a little different it 's a psychological s- suspense novel really. Do you enjoy writing all these books? Do you enjoy your characters i yes t- yes to both. I find that being a a writer being able to earn my living now by writing fiction is the most privileged existence I could imagine because i 'm doing what I love and i'm i 'm feeding myself and and uh, clothing myself at the same time. So that's wonderful. I mean, any I would much rather be working at something I love to make my living than, say, I don't know, win a lottery or or inherit wealth, because work's very important. And it is work. I mean, it can be hard. It can be draining. It can be frustrating at times. But there's nothing I'd rather do and... Not doing it is a lot harder than doing it when I'm forced by circumstances away from my desk and I'm not able to get on with my writing. I find that a source of frustration and, and uh, it makes me anxious. As for the characters, yes, they're all very important to me. I try my hardest to make even even the villains in my books to give them humanity because that's what everybody has in the end. Even those who act without it do possess it to some degree and it's the way they repress it that, uh, that I'd be interested in. One of
1: the characters in this book is a political columnist for a, a tabloid newspaper and her husband is a politician. And you seem to take a lot of enjoyment in writing about the the media and the fourth estate.
0: Uh, I do, and again I should say that my the, the cynicism of the novel isn't necessarily my own. I do write in in broad brushes when I'm talking about the media and politics in the novel but yes I think there are um, elements of the press that have done no favours to the country over the past few years to to the UK I mean uh, and I wanted to write a bit about that uh, the politician that, um, that you mentioned he is a sort of composite character made up of all sorts of um, different real life figures from both sides of the political divide uh, but all of them acting in a variety of ways which have, have not done the country any favours. People are more interested in their own careers than they are in the greater good that I was speaking of earlier. But even with those two characters who are, who are not, I think, good people, I've tried to bring a kind of humanity to them. To the male one, I've shown him involved in a, in what is a kind of moral struggle in a decision he has to make and um, raise the possibility that he will make the right decision. Uh, as for the, his wife, I've shown her at times of stress and unhappiness, but even then, there's always something ticking away in her, thinking, "How can I use this situation? You know, what what material can I make out of it?"
1: The fact that she ha- she has she comes up with a broad outline for for her columns, but she has interns who actually do the writing. Is that realistic? Is that real?
0: Uh, I I don't know. I would not remotely surprise me if it were true. The, um,
1: are there any real events that you? you hear about, you might read about them in the newspapers, the, they might feature somewhere and then they make their way
0: into into your novel Sort of, there was um, in, in this book that kind of happened in reverse uh, the previous novel Spook Street opens with a terrorist atrocity in a, in a shopping mall uh, in which a, a bomber quite deliberately targets young people and, and murders many of them around the time the book was published, when I was first doing public events for it uh, the Manchester bombing happened, uh, the the bombing at the Manchester Arena in which 23 people, most of them young were murdered and quite deliberately targeted in that way and that made me think quite a lot about what I was doing, writing about terrorism and whether I was simply using it for purposes of entertainment. I don't think I am I think what I'm doing is addressing the issues that these events raise in society, you know, how we cope with them, how cities cope with um, dreadful events like this and Thinking about that particular event did lead to very specifically to the writing of a passage, a couple of pages in London Rules, uh, about what it's like for a city to be recovering from that kind of trauma.
1: Currently you have two books that have been released, which means that in the last year or
0: so you wrote two books. How did you manage that? Not quite. I mean, publishing schedules are different from writing schedules. The books that have appeared this year, um, it took me two years to write uh, I wrote the new one I actually wrote before London rules it's been published in a different order um, and I would have started writing that gosh I'm, I'm hopeless with dates but the two books together were, were two years work was there was there a year gap in the sloth house in the slow house books uh, I had thought there would be because um, when I wrote the books I had assumed that there'd be a year's gap uh, that um, this is what happened, the standalone wouldn't be published until next year. But the publishers, for, for my different publishers for various reasons, both decided to produce the two books within the same year. That means I have to work harder to get a book out next year. <laughs> and are you working on that book? I am, I am. I won't be finished this until December or so. I started it um, last September, so that's about 14, 15 months uh, it will be. And um, that's about the right amount of time to work on a book like this, I think, for me. Uh, they're they're large and and complex novels with a lot of characters to to balance, and um, I wouldn't want to rush them. See,
1: as readers, we don't realise how much time it takes for you to write the book. We get the book, we devour it over a week or a weekend, without realising that it's hours, uh, months, weeks, and months of crafting and plotting and writing and redrafting. And
0: it is, but to- it's an enormous pleasure to be told that the books are read that quickly. I mean, I wouldn't want my books to be. Strained over for uh, months on end, that would that would feel like i disappointed a reader. Very often in
1: in the creative arts, well, not create the creative side of uh, business and media and publishing, books are often sold to production companies that turn them into TV series or movies. Mm-hmm. Any of your books in the process to yes,
0: be turned into uh, the, the screen? This, this um, Slough House series is in the process of being developed for television. Uh, but it's a very long process, and it moves glacially slowly. So, you know whether this will come to fruition or, or when it will is anybody's guess at the moment. Would you be involved in that process? I have been at a remove, uh, and I'm very pleased with what's being done with the books. A lot of changes are being made because the um, the grammar of storytelling is different on screen than it is on the page. But I'm happy with all that. I'm aware that these people know what they're doing, and really I'm letting them get on with it but I am being invited to look at what they're doing every so often we've come
1: to the end of our conversation with McCarran McCarran is the author of a number of books first crime thrillers and now espionage thrillers these books are available in the shops Uh, it it's so surprising to my mind that it took me so long to discover the series the uh, the the no, Slough, Slough, Slough House the Slough House series of books the the Jackson Lamb they're also called the Jackson Lamb series
0: they are in in the UK they've been called the Jackson Lamb although I think
1: that in a way Sidelines the rest of the really colourful <laughs> characters because they all play a role in these books so uh, I'd as soon as I get the pronunciation correct, I'm going to continue calling them the Slough House books because I think it really does put all of the characters on uh, in the spotlight. Um, we've been discussing these books. We've been discussing the, the the craft of writing novels, espionage, the very fine balances that secret services play within the the administration and the governments, the governance of the of, of the countries in which they they operate. And it's been for us a great privilege to have you in the studio. And for me too. Thank you, Stephen.